welcome everybody to nwczradio.com channel one's down the rabbit hole my name is big d and i'm brandon and it is as usual wonderful to have everybody along thanks so much for tuning in hey brandon i uh, didn't do it oh that was a good episode of midweek dracula tied it into it halloween it was nice it was a fun one. I, I've always kind of wondered a little bit because you always hear the things about Vlad and the Impaler and all that stuff. And I'm like, what is this all really about? So I decided to go down the rabbit hole. But then you you mentioned to me that there's a book that I just ordered that I'm going to have to get my hands on and read. Because I've always been a huge fan of Dracula. I've seen almost every Dracula movie that's ever been made. All the really interesting theories that they have of Dracula um, fascinate me. So. Yeah, If anybody's interested in this book that we're talking about, it's a book that I... I read, it's and I have it, it's called In Search of Dracula, A True History of Dracula and Vampire Legends by Raymond T. McNally and Radu, that's spelled R-A-D-U, Florescu, F-L-O-R-E-S-C-U. It is the definitive book on Dracula. It's fantastic. It's written in 1972. You don't hear much about it. I'm not sure why, because it is a fantastic read. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to, like I said, I ordered that one. I'm going to have to get my hands on it. So um, definitely get my hands on that. The one thing I did want to say to the listeners, too, is I did get, we did get another email about how quiet some of the episodes are for me. We are trying to figure out what that is on our end. From everything we can tell, everything looks good on our end, but it seems like it works okay on some platforms and some others. So we're not sure exactly why my episodes are coming across so quiet. So we are trying to figure out that. We think we might know one thing, so we're redoing the Dracula episode with the new audio to see if it fixes it, but we're working I, on it. I think it's because you live in Washington State. I don't think they like you I there. Think so. I think your internet company is sabotaging you. Yeah, possibly, because like I was telling Big D up until like 20 minutes before we started to record, I didn't have internet this morning, so really made it <laughs> tough to play video games and do research. <laughs> uh, well, I want to remind everybody that you can email us at downtherh at protonmail.com, downtherh at protonmail.com. We got some good emails this week, some fantastic recommendations. A guy wrote in and asked if we had done an episode on the Bermuda Triangle, and I know we've referenced it on some I shows. I thought we did do one. I thought we did too, but maybe it's one of the lost episodes. Oh, it might be. I always forget. I forget that there's lost episodes. Um, so it might be one of those lost episodes. So if it is, we might, it might be one we might have to redo. So definitely have to go down the rabbit hole on there because I'm with you. I was like, I'm sure. But I looked back through the episodes and I think when we were li- when we were just doing the show live and we weren't bo- podcasting mm-hmm. or, or even recording, we may have tackled it then. I thought it was when we did doing the gate. The Stargates, which I think that actually might be a, I think it was during the time, like right after the Stargates or right in there. And I think that might've been, I think the Stargates might be another lost episode too. I think you're right. I think we did. We may have to go back and just redo a bunch of those early episodes that, that we sort of jump started our podcast or our program on actually. I mean, we, we, we went through yeah. a lot of those and we weren't recording and we weren't even putting them on podcast at the time. So, yeah. And see, a lot of people don't know that I've had a few people have questions like that. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Cause we, they've heard us mention the, the lost episodes. And I'm like, oh, the lost episodes. That was because we did, you know, we had a couple episodes we did before we started recording for the internet. We just did random ones. We had several months. Yeah. There's several months, so there's probably, and I forget how many there were. I kept thinking it was like three or four, but then the more I think about it, I'm like, no, I think it's it's closer to probably 20 
Yeah, I agree. I do agree. So, now. So, anywho, yeah, that explains the lost episodes. They're episodes that somebody heard because we were getting emails at the time. We were just on the radio. We were live, and we were not recording them. We weren't podcasting, nothing. We were basically just starting yeah. out. And so a lot of those episodes, whoever heard them, that was it. So we may have to go back through and revisit those at some point. And see, I actually went back look. Stargates was the fifth episode actually that we did record but it was yeah but i think it might have been before that but yeah i know we did do i remember doing the bermuda triangle but i think you're right i think it might be a lost episode that we might have to go back back on because i think we did one on bigfoot as well and that's not uh in our archives of podcasts you sure i thought it did bigfoot as a mid midweek oh uh, maybe it did but I know we did one early on because we were in the Northwest. We had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So I'm going to, maybe I'll look because I know, you know, we were talking, I think it's next week. You got just me. So I got to figure out my, my sound issue before then. But, um, and maybe I'll, I'll have to figure out, you know, maybe I'll do one of those lost episodes. That would be great. That would be great. Well, speaking of episodes, let's get into today's episode. And it, when we were doing our series on, some of the founders of America, where I think we lost some listeners on that, <laughs> honestly. I think so. I think the analytics reflect that. Some people piss people off. Apparently, they didn't want to hear about it or they don't like the truth. Uh, they don't want you to dig into their national heroes. And that, that's okay. That's fine. Me personally, I don't think you should be afraid of the truth in any subject or situation. But it's funny how people are cheering you on and then you step on their toe about something that's i guess sacred to them and yeah. they're gone yeah they're, they're totally fine when you're you know bringing out the truth on something that they're like you know the the covid and the back vaccines but they're like yeah screw them but the second we bring out the truth and like we kept mentioning we're not saying anything bad against i mean these people did amazing things alexander hamilton george washington ben franklin they were just maybe a little freaky in there their, their normal lives, um, which is fine. You know, I'm not going to, you know, yuck anyone's yum, but I mean, whatever. So, I mean, if they have an issue because we, we spoke the truth on what these people were like in the real life, we're all humans. We all have past. We all have done things that, you know, no matter how good of a person you have been, there's all things that you've done. One of these days, I'd love to go down the truth about Mother Teresa. So, and that's going to piss some people off. Oh, yeah, that's going to piss some people off for sure and sometimes it's we were just asking questions and we were looking at some of the myths and mm -hmm. some of the uh, unreported things about these characters and we even called out some of them as bs mm -hmm. so i don't know it was interesting but one of the things that we ran across while we were doing that series was this secret society the it started out as a secret society it became yes. uh, it got notoriety pretty quick because of what they were attempting, and they're still around today. And we'll they talk, are. Yeah, we'll talk about all that. It's the Society of Cincinnati, and yes, the city of Cincinnati is named after basically the society named that city. Yeah, and we'll get into all of that. But it actually starts with this group called the Maryland Four Hundred, and unless you were paying close attention in history class or you're an american history buff you've probably never heard of the maryland 400 i had heard the story about these guys but i didn't know they had a name 
Uh, yeah, I'd never heard of him until you you'd mentioned it and we looked him up. I remember kind of mentioning it, I think, when we were talking about Washington and the battle that we'd mentioned the Maryland 400 because they were a huge part of his win. Yes. But that was really the first time I'd ever, it was just like, oh, it was just kind of a, a background character. Yeah, so what happened is in Brooklyn, there's this Dutch farmhouse. It's known as the old Stone House. And in... 1776 on August 27th, the 400, and at that, that at that time they were called the Sons of Baltimore. They basically held off the British Army, and they were outnumbered by more than five to one. And what mm-hmm. happened was George Washington knew that the British were coming. They had to delay them somehow because they we weren't ready. The re- yeah. revolutionary they weren't ready, and this commander. His name was Major Mordecai Gist. Mordecai. Yeah. <laughs> that was cracks me up in that name. And uh, there's another guy, Sterling. It's not really relevant. However, they offered their first Maryland regiment of 400 volunteers to basically be time killers, try to hold off this huge army that's coming at them from the British, and mm-hmm. they were successful. Both Sterling and Gist fought side by side with their men and they drew the attention of the British inside this little stone house, which is kind of weird. But uh, that gave Washington enough time to cross the river and, you know, because it was foggy. We all know that story and uh, slipped by the, the British ships. Like you mentioned, we all know the story of the crossing of the Delaware, but... They, this part is kind of like a side note when you're like, this shouldn't be a side note. This should be a huge. It's a way bigger deal, I think. You know, it's like when I did the, the talk of the Philippine-American War, there's a, such a, a situation in that that happens the same way where they, a, true, a, a group stays knowing that it's a suicide mission just to take away the focus of the advancing army on them while the leaders who they know it's more important they escape to, to deal with that. And that's kind of what this 400 did. Cause I mean, they got, they had some major casualties because of this, you know, and their whole purpose wasn't to win. No, it was just to distract the British until while Washington was crossing the Delaware and escaping. And we all know the Delaware crossing. I mean, we've seen the, the, the there's a huge, you know, famous painting of the Delaware crossing. We've all heard of this, but never the 400. Right, I think the 400, they're the bigger heroes. I mean, obviously you wanted yes. Washington because he was the leader, he was the commander, he was eventually became the president. So he's a bigger-than-life figure. Mm-hmm. But in order for him to get there, your average dude, your average... These guys were boys, boys, yeah. young men. Some of them were even volunteers. old men. Yeah, volunteers. And they basically said, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll sign up, we'll do this. And some died, but not all of them. No, but it's one of those things you think about. And this is one of those things like when I was reading about this really made me think about how we miss that in a lot of the wars where we hear about the great general or whoever that got away and did all this great stuff. But what about the ones like this, like the Maryland 400 who sacrificed everything just so he could get away? There's no way if you read everything in the historical reports, no way Washington crosses the Delaware and gets away. If the Maryland 400 doesn't stand their ground like they did. No way. Yeah, absolutely. 
there's no way for sure. So on the heels of that, and we, we talked a little bit, I think you and I talked about this, where there was this disgruntlement among the soldiers, but they were, they were promised. They, they left their farms. They left mm-hmm. their homes. Many of them left jobs and careers to join the regiment. It wasn't a great life. They were underfed, underclothed. They're freezing, starving. Their families are basically at the mercy of people helping them. And the government, the U.S., well, it wasn't even the U.S. government. It was basically the promise of the leaders of this revolution that they would be taken care of. Yes. And it wasn't happening. Nope. There was, and, and this is one of those things where it first comes up when we were talking to Alexander Hamilton. Because Alexander Hamilton had the whole idea of, you know, that we, we, he had, in his research with him, this came up. And that was one of the big things during his. And I think the Confederate, you know, letters and everything else came from the same th- issues. But that's kind of, you know, where the, the whole idea of the, the Society of Cincinnati, and the first time I'd heard of the Society of Cincinnati was when we were dealing with, you know, and talking about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, as we get going through here, there's a lot of famous names that come up that are associated with, joined, led, and or criticized this group. Yeah. So on the heels of that, there was a major. His name was General Henry Knox, and he was the chief of artillery for the Continental Army. He was in cahoots with the French and several of the other organizations and and countries who were sort of lending support to the U.S. or the the, the early American uh, revolters, the revolutionaries. And he was sort of a spokesman and had a lot of sway with these guys. Mm -hmm. As the Constitution was being drafted and all this stuff was happening, he decided to start this group called the Society of Cincinnati. The Society of Cincinnati, according to them, it was set up for officers and military guys only, and primarily from this group of 400. It was a really small group of basically really connected military personnel. And Mm -hmm. it expanded from there. But the thing was, is they wanted to make sure that these guys were taken care of, that their families were taken care of. And it was sort of this exclusive club of we're all together in this. We all served in this. We want to preserve this legacy and we want to keep it alive. And so we're setting up the Society of Cincinnati. Now, they named it after the Cincinnatus. He was a Roman farmer who gave up his life and went and fought and basically toppled whatever war that was. And he was a hero. So they offered him lavish positions and money and everything. He said, no, nope, I'm good. I'm basically just going back to my farm. Yeah. Cincinnatus became you know, Cincinnati. And that's where they got this, the Society of Cincinnati. People who gave up their livelihoods to go fight a war and they were successful. If you want to go into Cincinnatus, you can do that on your own time. It's a, it's a, it's a cool story. But, it is. But what actually was happening is these guys, these military guys, were setting up this society, and it was so exclusive that they had to invite you in, they had to approve you, you had to have served, and you had to be pretty well-connected militarily, and 
you are only a, allowed to pass your membership on to a family member and primarily a firstborn son. So it stayed in the family. It was going to be this really tight-knit group of individuals, and they had bigger plans for the United States. One of the big plans is they really wanted to set up a monarchy, which is kind of odd because they just yeah. fought off the Brits. But it's one of those things, it's like you see this all the time, where you have the whole argument when people start talking about wanting to have um, socialism and everything else, and you can point out, like, hey, this is where it didn't work. Look what it did here. Look what it did there. And they're like, oh, we're different. And that's where I think the problem kept running into, is you had all these people saying, oh, well, that's because King George is a wank. But if we have, you know, King George Washington... That's going to change everything. It's going to be different, you know, because he is not the same King George. And I think that's where we run into this a lot, where you see this all the time, where we just got rid of a monarchy. Why would we not want another one? And it's always because this one's going to be different. It's like you see, though, you know, it's like being in a, you know, a bad relationship. This time's going to be different. I he, they, They've changed and they never do. A, a monarchy is a monarchy. So it might work for one monarch because that monarch actually is a nice person. And then the next one who was raised with nothing, you know, because George Washington wasn't raised a rich kid. He had, you know, he fought, he did everything else, you know, so he had a different mentality. But then his kids, if he'd ever had any, would maybe they would have been the same way. I mean, maybe it would have been the same thing where all of a sudden you get the kids because they were born into lavishness, never had to work for anything, which we've seen how many times in these families as we've gone down the families of the Illuminati. The, the more generations back you get from actually having to work for their money, the bigger wanks they are. And that's what you happen with the, the monarchy. The big, you know, the longer the monarchy is in control, the worse the monarchy becomes. So based on what you're saying, all of that is true. And they had a lot of comments that they made while they were setting up the society that really rang alarm bells for a lot of people. And they, of course thought that they could keep a secret but people who were actually in the society were alarmed at what they were saying because they fought along for freedom but these guys were all saying well no if it's a benevolent king and a good king we'll take that over what they were afraid of is kind of a lot of what people are afraid of now that if people voted a certain way that they didn't like because they had the freedom to vote and to over, you know, overrule things that basically society, their society was going to crumble. And these guys were all military guys. They had a certain way of life, certain way of things they wanted to do. They were accused of ambition, arrogance, and subversion. They were getting special financial privileges through nobility over in France and mm -hmm. over in Europe, they were meeting in secret. And so a lot of people saw them as a, the nucleus of the secret government, kind of operating outside of, this, of the Republican rules that were being set up to run America, run the United States. Yeah. And Benjamin Franklin, Samuel Adams were big opponents of them. This guy named Elbridge Jerry was probably the sharpest critic, and mm -hmm. he tried to organize congressional resistance against them. 
John Jay feared that the Cincinnati, that the Cincinnati group would disrupt Republican unity. John Adams was so distraught by the prospect of this hereditary nobility in the United States that he privately announced his resignation from public life. Public life. Yeah. This guy, Jerry, in 1785, wrote a letter, and he said, What is to be done with the Cincinnati? It is the deepest piece of cunning yet attempted. So a lot of people were worried. They were afraid that these guys were secretly operating in the background and that they were so tied to the military that if people didn't go their way, and there were subtle hints from the Society of Cincinnati that if you don't go our way, we basically control the military. Which we've seen before. I mean, we, we've seen it before, where, and we see it now, where there's a lot of these, they don't say it, but they hint that if you don't go the way we want you to, things are going to happen, because they can't say it outright. But they hint that this is, you need to do what we want. And a lot of people believe that's how they got George Washington. And I think it's pretty factual how they got George Washington to be the president of this group. They formed their own group. They wrote their own set of bylaws and their own constitution for their group. And then they mailed an invitation to George Washington to become the president of this group, inviting him in the group because obviously he was a military guy. And he yeah. hummed and hawed. They invited him to come to the annual meeting to where they could basically kind of in, de facto interview him and anoint him as the head of this group. And he basically lied to him a couple of times and said, yeah, my wife and her mom are sick and I, I can't make it, which was not true. And he was getting people telling him, hey, do you know anything about this group? They all seem kind of crazy. It seems like they're trying to subvert what we're doing here, you know, establishing this government and our country. So a lot of people, by today's standards, we think of America as this big, huge country. At that time, they were, it was very tiny. It was just basically a, some land on the East Coast. Exactly, and I think that's what a lot of people miss. I mean, like when we were even talking about, you know, the, the forefathers and all that, people always forget that it wasn't the country we have now. It was... It was basically if we just had what we did, it was like, you know, from what New Jersey down to freaking South Carolina. That and, was it. And that was it. And there weren't very many people there. So it was scattered out. It was small. There were small towns, you know, villages, people scattered around. There were some central hubs, obviously. But it's nothing like we know today. Zero. No. No White House. No, none of that stuff. No, because the original White House wasn't even in Washington, D.C. It was in Pennsylvania. Right. George Washington finally agrees to go, and he gets there, and he, it's kind of funny. He reads through their constitution and disagrees with pretty much ha at least half of it. Yeah. And so he goes through with a pen and says, you got to change this, you got to change this, you got to change this, and just basically X marks half of their thing and says, if you change all of that, sure, I will be, I'll be glad to, you know, serve as president. And, but the dirty little secret was, is he was basically president in name only because there was another guy who would be actually running things. 
Well, it's like one of those things like you see every once in a while, you get that person who you need the name recognition. You need that. I mean, it's George Washington. Even back then, George Washington was a name. He was someone that you could stand behind and say, boom. It's like when you see a spokesperson on a commercial. When they put their name to it, they're, you know, saying this is a good quality thing. Um, and it seems like he really was. He was the first president. But only, like you said, in name, there was really someone else running it. They just wanted the credibility that came with saying that George Washington is the president. Oh, yeah. He was a national hero. Every, he was legendary. People loved him. Everybody knew his name. Interestingly enough, in that, um, in that first, I think it was in that first meeting, because they, so they took his request. They had a meeting among themselves. Now, mind you, they had set up, I'll just call them meeting houses, in about six locations around the U.S., and they actually had one in France as well. So they were basically an international group at this point after yeah. having established themselves. And when they came back and said, okay, we here at this place, we, we've okayed all these changes. So the sad part about that is, According to the way they structured this uh, Society of Cincinnati, all of the different outposts, all of the lodges or whatever you want to call them, had to agree to these changes for them to become permanent. So they basically bamboozled him. Mm -hmm. Because when they sent it out to all the other lodges, only two or three of them okayed it and the rest nixed it. But they never told him that. He goes back to his home, like you said. He's just sort of a, he's sort of the face of the organization. He's the kind of like he's the name recognition. He's the brand recognition. Yeah. Then things really got weird because at this time in 1785, around in there, in the United States, they're writing up the Articles of Confederation. The Society of Cincinnati was strictly opposed to it they did not want it they sent letters to governors they sent letters they, they, they sent people warning against this warning against calling for these changes it was so controversial this group's outcry about it that they actually delayed the convention to reform the articles no yeah. According to this article, it says several critics charged that the entire debate over a stronger national government was merely a machination of the Cincinnati to pick up their nefarious plans where they had left off in 1784 and replace Republican government with aristocratic tyranny. The conspiracy theory also affected the question of constitutional ratification as the conspiracy theory became one aspect of the anti-federalist arguments against the Constitution. They didn't like the Constitution. Well, and yeah, I think a lot of it is a lot of people didn't like the Constitution because it gave too many rights to the people. And it wasn't, they thought really that people, and this is something you're seeing more and more, and a lot of people are starting to believe this again now, um, that people aren't smart enough to make these decisions for themselves. I mean, like we mentioned before, I live in Washington where we actually voted 
for cheaper tabs and our governor said yeah you're too dumb to know what you voted for so we're not going to let that pass even though it, it it passed by the vote and i think that's where a lot of these you know society of cincinnati people had the same idea they're like the the constitution gives way too much credit and way too much power to the people when the people are too stupid to have that much power oh yeah that's what they were afraid of what they wanted and what they were working towards and what many people actually believe they did was set up through dark channels this political influence and military power they wanted to lord it over a the government so whoever was actually you know, got voted in and we've talked about this many times where you're sometimes given two choices but in reality it's a setup it is it is because they give you two choices but they make it so that the the choice they want you to take is the one they know you want to choose but they make the other choice so freaking abhorrent that you end up choosing the one they want you to choose it's like we mentioned this before where all of a sudden you go in you ask for the freaking moon because you know they're not going to want give it to you because you know when you come back and ask for something you know above what they normally give well it's better than asking for the moon i did think this was interesting as far as Washington goes, and I, we didn't cover this in his, the show we did on him, I don't think, but when the troops were all pissed off and grumbling, one of them wrote a big, long letter to basically subvert Washington, and we should all rise up and because we're not getting paid and so forth. To keep his troops busy, he, he put them to work chopping down trees and building nearly 600 log huts. Then he had them erect a 110 by 30 foot log building with a vaulted ceiling, windows and plaster walls. And it was dubbed the Temple of Virtue. Hmm. And so he was kind of a dick on some levels. Yeah, I can see that. He was like, you better oh. be careful you say that. We might even lose more listeners. Well, hey, <laughs> I mean, if I was freezing cold and not getting food and being asked to you know, fight constantly and I've been promised this, that, and the other thing, I'd be a little upset too. And then by the, at the end of the day, they say, oh, hey, by the way, go, go over there and just start chopping down trees and, and build a bunch of huts. I'd be a little upset. I could see that. I mean, it's one of those things like a lot of people talk about, you know, where you don't get the credit you deserve at a job and you don't get paid what you, you told you were going to get paid. You had an agreement and that agreement isn't taken care of and whatever. And that's kind of what happened with a lot of these guys and you know the beginning of this society was because a lot of them you know but most of what i read was a lot of them just weren't getting what the government promised them so i mean it was almost like they were starting this to get back at the government trying to fix the fact that the government kept promising them the crap that they weren't getting you're right back to the society According to this article, it says the general society was divided into state societies each completely autonomous which collected funds from members and kept in touch with others by circular letters and periodic general meetings. So they basically kind of operated in the shadows and they would send these notes back and forth, kind of like the early Masons. I think there's a lot of Masonic crossover here. Mm -hmm. I think so. Well, I think in a lot of these there are. When we go back and look at a lot of these, I think a lot of them maybe have started off with the same people and then different views made them split off into different groups. Right. According to this, when a charter member died, succession would pass to his, quote, eldest male posterity, 
or to another branch of his family, quote, who may be judged worthy. In other words, only one member of each family, usually the oldest son, could belong at any one time. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge America's debt to France, which was our ally in the revolution, provision was made for a French society. The Cincinnati Society eventually decided to include all foreign officers who could meet the general requirements. Now, one of the problems with the French branch of this is a lot, is a lot of them ended up at the guillotine during the French Revolution because they were doing the same thing over there and people figured out what was going on and so they dragged them out and chopped their heads off. That didn't happen here, obviously. Yeah. Getting back to this guy, this Elbridge Jerry... And there was another one, James Madison, who both predicted that the society would be able to control elections. How, where have we heard this before? Uh, repeatedly. I mean, different societies, different people, Illuminati, everyone talking about how they can you know, control elections and everything else happens all the time. We hear it from the Republicans. We hear it from the Democrats. It's been going. So, folks, all this rhetoric that you hear that they use to try to scare you. And, oh, the Republicans are going to steal the election. No, the Democrats are going to steal, steal the election. This has been going on since the birth of our nation. Yes. Put that in your thinking cap. This is nothing new. Everyone, people think this is all new. Nothing's new. No. It's like we've talked about this before. If you go back and look at like history, a lot of the stuff that we go through, is it's cycles. It's all cycles. Um, and I think people miss that so much. If you go look, cycles are huge. So this happened before. I mean, a lot of this has been going on since the beginning. Right. And then also there was this guy, uh, his name is Burke. He said this about them. He said, the order is planted in a fiery, hot ambition and thirst for power, and its branches will end in tyranny. Uh, he also went on to say that the society membership was actually at about 10,000 when they were claiming that they were only at about two to three. His ideas spread. Thomas Jefferson basically lodged into what he was saying and looked into it. And he, that's how Jefferson became a big opponent of this group. Yeah. Also, these, the Society of Cincinnati held this view that if you were not so if you were to pass like you're you're about to die you're going to pass you're going to pass your membership on to your son or to somebody else if they didn't hold the same views as the society of cincinnati they would not accept you you are out Ooh. also it says uh this was, it was an attempt to attract influential men with the character of membership it was also Strongly attached to government, essentially different in principles from the Republican const constituents of the United States. They were working in subversion of the U.S., of what was being set up. That's what this group was. That's how they yes. started anyway. They, they started basically being an anti-government group in a way, but with by, by getting credence by basically having, you know, George Washington there. And you can't really fault Washington, although you you should do your due diligence and, we should. and look into things. But he really had nothing to do with them. He didn't write anything for them. He, I think he only showed up at the one meeting. And 
People were telling him, hey, you need to distance yourself from this group. And he was like, eh, I don't have any really th- anything to do with them anyway. Yeah. And we don't have, there was no TV or radio back then. And so it wasn't like you, they were running ads saying, George Washington says, you know, he backs what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was pretty low profile and running in certain political circles. I don't think the average man knew much about it. Yeah. Says John Adams was at first only a lukewarm objector, but writing from Lafayette to Holland, he said he, quote, disapproved with as much tranquility and self-recollection and phlegm, if you will, as I have been a native, full-blooded Dutchman. The first step taken to deface the beauty of our temple of liberty is this group. And then he quotes this Elbridge Jerry says, is sowing the seeds that all of European courts wish to grow up among us, vanity, ambition, corruption, discord, and sedition. So that was another aspect of this. A lot of people believe that this group, because they were tied to the French and therefore tied to Europe, is this was sort of a backdoor way in to create what kind of like what we have now in the European Union. We're not involved in that, but that's what they wanted. They wanted mm-hmm. the the old Europe and what was happening in America to create this sort of shadow government connection type thing to eventually basically just take over. And the threat was because these were all military guys that they would use the military at some point to just overthrow everything and install a king. But we would never do that. That's why we have our government. Well, we now we do. At the time, yes. they were putting it together. That, that they were, and I think that this was one of those things. I think you know, if the Society of Cincinnati had, had a little more power and a little more push, I think we would have a completely different country than we do now. Oh, absolutely! In fact, my, here's part of my theory: is they were very idealistic in this way. That this is what they were wanting. This is, and it's really weird because they had, again, all these people had come from Europe. Yes. So they, they, they weren't, these weren't generational Americans. They, they had all come over here and started a new life, supposedly to get out from under a monarchy that was oppressive. But However, it was their only way of life. That's all they mm-hmm. knew. So this idea of, hey, he's a jerk, but if we just put somebody in nice, it'll all work out because that's what we're used to, uh, which actually, you know, basically the king overrode whatever was going on. Yes. And so they had, but they had just come out of this war, and there's no way they could have mustered their army to. They were tired. The army's tired. They're mm-hmm. beat up. They're worn out. And I think a lot of people realized yeah, your threats and all of your talk about taking over with the military one day isn't going to happen because these guys are all, they're wasted. They're done. Mm-hmm. They're tired. They're cold. They're hungry. They've all gone home. How are you going to corral them all together in this secret society? So what they, this is what I believe happened. They switched gears and went into politics. And that is what happened. A lot of them became high ranking position people, either in local government or at the national level. And again, national level was not that big at the time. 
No, it's not. I mean, if you look at most of these people, if you look at the list of the original members, all of them became, most anyway, became some in some way involved in politics. Yes, they did. And sorry, I agree. I think like you do that they basically decided, hey, this isn't going to work this way, but let's go over if here. We went into politics and did this a whole different avenue. We could make this work. And when you hear even to this day about the military complex, mm -hmm. there's a very good chance, and I'm not saying it's 100%, but there's a very good chance this was all set up by this group. Yes. And they could still be running it to this day because the Society of Cincinnati still exists. Oh, yeah. That was the hardest part in researching this. I couldn't. Every time I looked up, you know, Society of Cincinnati, it gave me, oh, Society of Cincinnati of Ohio, Society of Cincinnati of, you know, Pennsylvania. I mean, they're everywhere, you know, and it would give me their, you know, of course, you know, their, this is how we started and we're this great group and we do all this amazing stuff. Because, um, of course, it is. It's not going to say anything about the stuff, you know, the theories on the horrible things that may or may not have been done by this group. It's just going to tell us how amazing they are. Well, according to uh, this other article I'm reading, it said that in 1925, the Society of Cincinnati financed a trip to America for a young Frenchman, preferably a member of the Order of the Descendants of a Member, to study American civilization at Harvard and to take a non-academic tour of inspection around the country. And in 1959, Society of Cincinnati held its triennial meeting in France and had a reception with Louis XIV at the Palace of Versailles. They even met with Charles de Gaulle, who was a general. And so these guys have big connections. Mm -hmm. And they had people like, Nathaniel Green, John Paul Jones, and in 1804, they paid for the painting of George Washington. And so these guys have a lot of military sway. They also built a monument in New York uh, at New Windsor. They uh, led a fight to preserve the USS Constellation. And so they're still very involved in a lot of, even to this day, in a lot of I'll just say monuments and memorials. And honestly, I think that's a front. I think so too. I think that's how we've seen this, right? We've seen this in all these societies on the face. They do all these really nice things and say, Hey, look what we're doing for everybody. We're putting up, you know, we're, we're preserving our history. We're putting up monuments. We're doing all these things when in reality, what's going on at the secret meetings and what's going on behind the scenes and what's going on as they're manipulating and pulling strings on politicians and the military is a whole different deal. Well, I think it's one of those things we've talked about this with like the philanthropy of like Bill Gates and Soros and everyone else where all of a sudden the second you question Bill Gates and say, Bill Gates is a freaking bad bad man everyone's like but look he gave money to this organization he helped these people out how can he be a bad man if he did this and it, and i think that's the same thing with them is they do a lot of we're back to the philanthropic they do a lot of philanthropic work that really benefits them in the end 
just like we see with the other ones, um, but makes everyone, you know, look over here, not over here. So look at how great I'm doing over here where I'm giving all this money to philanthropic to help children's hospitals and do all this when that is a small piece of my money when the rest of my money is going over here to support, you know, an overthrow of the government or a secret, you know, shadow government that's really running everything. This is how entrenched they were. According to this article, there was a radical Frenchman who considered the Cincinnati a symbol of liberty. On July 12, 1789, two days before the storming of the Bastille, a rebel named Camille Desmoulins mounted a table in Paris and proposed that a flag be chosen to represent the popular movement. Casting about among suitable colors, he cried, quote, What shall it be? Shall it be green, the color of hope? Shall it be blue, the color of Cincinnati? Voices in the crowd shouted back, Let it be green, the color of hope. When green was later discovered to be the color of Louis XVI's brother, uh, red and blue, the colors of Paris, were substituted, and then Lafayette suggested a stripe of the old national white be added, and then that's how you got the famous French tri tricolored flag. But the group sent the, the Society of Cincinnati was brought up during that discussion. Yeah. Anybody had anybody heard of that? I hadn't. No. I didn't even know about this group. No, and it, it sounds like one of those things that a lot of people like. You know, we're focusing, of course, because once again, we live in the United States. So we're focusing on the United States, but that's, that's French. So it's not, they're not just one that's only affecting us here. That That's affecting the entire world. You know, it's offensing. Well, I mean, France doesn't represent the whole world, but I mean, it, it's, you know, an international group that's affecting other places besides just here in the United States. Yeah, according to this article in American Heritage, says the today the society has many activities. Its invaluable collection of revolutionary documents and papers is kept in the Library of Congress. The Anderson House is an interesting museum in its own right. In keeping with one of its original aims, the society still gives financial help to needy members, which is great. In addition, mm -hmm. the state societies have their own programs. Virginia gives fellowships to several colleges and universities within the state i.e. directing them how to conduct their business. Connecticut uh, presents a sword to an outstanding graduate of the Coast Guard Academy in New London, and others mark historical sites and help maintain library rooms devoted to U.S. history. So again, sounds fine. That's what they're doing now. Yes. And I'm trying to... I saw down here it's somewhere it said how many members were involved right now and it's not according to this it's not very many it's i think 2400 2500 or so forth but that's again that's on the surface that's the surface level that's the surface level and i mean that doesn't count the fact that pretty much what a lot of people forget they are it's a male only organization but they did one of the articles that i found talked about how they did found a second organization that is for the women yes I saw that. Not only that, let's say you're the official member of the society, mm -hmm. and you have, and you have uncles and brothers and other relatives, or people you know, who because these guys are all connected. So, there, I would assume you 
are sharing with them the directives and then they're going out and doing it and putting pressure on politicians, on military military personnel and so forth. And then if they get caught or they get outed, it doesn't come back to you directly. That's another trick that they like to use. Oh, yes. A lot of secret societies love that trick that, oh, you know, I didn't do it. I don't know. I don't know why my brother was out there doing that stupid stuff. So, which I mean, I, my brother's people believe it. They're already numb. So, well, I did find this pretty funny because <laughs> we're not the only ones who talk about this, although it's very hard to find articles of because it's a, it is a truly secret society in America. Very, so secret, in fact, that very few people even dig into it or look into it. However, there was a Cleveland Armory report called Who Killed Society that Life magazine sent out a photographer and a reporter team to cover the 1956 triennial meeting of the society in Newport, Rhode Island. So these they set it up to where Life magazine's going to come in and they're going to take pictures and they're going to kind of do a report on mm -hmm. this triennial meeting. Well, quote, all that happened supposedly was, quote, who they talked at cocktails while a group of proper looking people gathered around and hung on every word. That's what the life department, that's what life magazine reported that it was boring and nothing happened and they all just drank cocktails. Well, of course. And that's it. It's like we said, it's one of those things when you, you, I think this was the smartest thing that th this society did that a lot of them didn't like the Illuminati tried to say so secret that no one knew they existed, that these other ones just tried to stay so secret. No one knew they existed. And the society of Cincinnati said, Hey, here we are. This is what we do. But then everything they really do is behind closed doors. So they're not a secret society. And the fact that they, no one knows they exist, they're a secret society and no one knows what they actually do. And that to me is brilliant. That, yep. That's the way to do it. You know, be out in the open saying, hey, here I am, take a look. But then I have all this secretive stuff that's behind closed doors because we're this, this group that helps everyone. So why would anyone question us? Yeah, well, Henry Knox warned that the, this group were, were combustibles in every state, which a spark might set fire to. He also feared that they might bring about a, an astonishment to the world. He, they were so concerned about what they were up to. Well, they tell you what they're up to. They're up to good things. They're helpful. <laughs> Just look at their website. I looked. Talk yeah, about all the they do they have a with. yeah. They do have a website, which is really, really weird. And not the website's not weird. It's boring, is what it is. It just yeah. Like I said, it's one of those things where I feel this group was smarter than most of the rest. Where the fact that they said, "Hey, let's not hide." Let's be out in the open. Let everyone see us. Let them know that we're here. We just won't let them know the truth. You know, because if we're secret, then we have something to hide. If we're out in the open, nobody thinks we have anything to hide and no one's going to look beyond, you know, the, the what we show them. Yeah, because the early founders of this group were on record, quoted several times, actually even wrote pamphlets calling for a king, calling mm -hmm. for... A military state, basically. If they, if we, so, if we don't have a king, let's build a military state. They did not like the will of the people. They were against that. They were completely against it. They then there were people were worried that they were going to rig the voting. They were worried that they were puppeting politicians. And the truth is, they probably were, and they probably still are. That's why we still mm -hmm. hear about it today. 
They're a helpful group. They're philanthropic. But to me, that's the amazing thing about this society of Cincinnati is that the beginning of our country, they're talking about this group was seditious, that they were uh, tyrannical, and they were out to, you know, overthrow the government, use the military, set up voting, all these things. These are the same things that we're hearing today. From both parties. Yeah. It makes Which you makes wonder. wonder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we, we both just said that like the same time. Are they still pulling the strings? Are they puppeting all of this? Are they puppeting the divide? And how tied, divide. how tied to Europe actually are we? Because we know when we talked about Benjamin Franklin, he went over there a lot. Yes. We know that George, there's, there are certain accusations that George Washington was under the directive and pressure of the Brits. Yeah. There's a lot of them that think that, you know, maybe the French had mortar involved, you know, in the Spanish. Because a lot of people forget, you know, it's one of the things like I pointed out in the the, the Philippine-American War. The, Span- the Spaniards, which we look at now in the Spanish and the French as joke countries. I mean, like, oh, yeah, they don't have military. They can't do anything. But up for a long time, they were one of the powerhouses you know, in the world, and they just aren't anymore, and how much influence they had on the U.S., and, you know, because we borrowed a lot from the Spanish and the French to beat the English. Well, according to James McHenry, who was a founding member of the society, and he was also an aide of Washington, he told Washington in April 30th of 1789, which was when Washington was inaugurated, quote, you are now a king under a different name. That's scary. That is. And I think it scared Washington. I can see that. Because Washington, like you said, was sort of a de facto leader. He didn't want to be. No. And we talked about that when we talked about it. He wanted nothing to do with leading. I mean, he wanted to be done. He just chose because I think he really believed in, you know, what we were trying to do with the Constitution and everything else, that he chose that he would be the president because he believed in it. But that's why he didn't, you know, a lot of people forget, we mentioned it, but he could have been president until he died. It wasn't besides the fact that he said, hey, I'm checking out after this many years, that that's the only reason he stopped being president. Well, and when they were putting together the final version of the Constitution, apparently the uh, Society of Cincinnati were giving their input and wanted a bunch of things changed. I'm trying to figure out who said this, but I think it might have been Washington. He said it was, quote, leaning too much towards monarchy. Oh, it wasn't Washington. It was just a delegate, a delegate. But he was recorded as saying, quote, this is leaning too much towards monarchy, which is exactly what they wanted. Yes. And... Don't get confused by the term monarchy or king because in a lot of socialistic countries, they do not call their leader a king. They don't even call him a dictator. They just call him the leader. Yep. We, we've come up with these terms and say, oh, yeah, whoever is a dictator. But the people in the country don't call him that. They get killed. No. So it seems to me that this is exactly what they were trying to set up there, and I believe they're still doing it. 
I think they still want it. They want to have someone take over for good. And I believe the U.S. Constitution, as it sits, unless it gets changed, and we've said this many times, is the only rock-solid piece of paper in the world that prevents this. Yeah. It prevents the Great Reset from happening it, because there are checks and balances. If we had a, a just say, a dear leader, you know, like a dictator, a, a, a tyrannical person in charge, and some argue that we do, but... There are still checks and balances. We still have we have mm-hmm. three branches of the government. You you don't run them all. There are certain things you can do, but there it's set that it's set up that way so we can't have that. And whatever yeah. damage is done can usually be undone through the courts or through legislation or whatever. It it, it would be awful hard for somebody to just stand up and say I'm the king of, of the United States, and what I say goes. It wouldn't happen unless yeah. the Constitution yeah. goes down. Which I think a lot of them are pushing for. I think, well, this group was from the beginning, and I think they still are today. And I think because of their ties to the military, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I dug and dug and dug, and this group is very, very secretive. That's why it's really hard to, a lot of this is just you know, thoughts off the top of my head. They're very open, but then very secretive at the same time. Like we said, I think that's where the, my favorite part about this group, I don't agree with the group and I don't like it, but where they are very open, like, hey, here we are. Here's all the philanthropical stuff we do. Stop looking. But the stuff that they're doing behind the scenes, I don't even know how deep yes. it goes. Oh, I don't either. Are they involved in choosing the military leaders? Because we've had some pretty bad moments in the u.s history like like douglas macarthur when they forced him out after he was he was a national hero yeah and they dumped him like a hot rock and we've had that happen many many times why who's behind all of that mm-hmm. a lot of times you hear stuff that comes out of the military like how did this guy get so high or why is why are these people so dumb it's obvious common sense to do this but yet they do that why are they part of the shadow government? The shadow government we've talked about in the past. You have Are they the ones running the shadow government that's in whatever mount that is? I can't remember what mountain it's in. But are they the ones running it? Did they start it? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, they did start from a military group who would have had ties into the military still, even after they weren't in it. Um, are they still tied to it? Do they still have those? Like you said, are they the ones that, you know, were able to get MacArthur pushed out? Are they the ones that, you know, pushed you know it's like some of the things if we go back and look at the iran contrast were they the ones that pushed out that you know the patsies to say hey quick go take control of this so that they don't look deeper and find out you know we're behind this how many of these have we had where you have those where all of a sudden hey this person's to blame when right. you know there was a whole group behind them maybe they were that group behind them and whose interest are they working in yeah theirs People scratched their head when we just pulled out of, of Afghanistan because it was so horribly debo- like it was botched on every level. Mm-hmm. And we left them billions of dollars of equipment yeah. and just walked away and gave them airports, all kind of crazy stuff. It was the dumbest thing. I mean, your average junior hire pr- probably could have you know, devised a better plan. But, and so you just have to wonder why. Oh, yeah. And whose interests are they working in? And... Where is this all leading? So it's an interesting group. 
it's a very tough group to dive into because there's the public face and then what's mm-hmm. behind it. You really have to go way back to where things were recorded because a lot of stuff, the, the, whatever they're doing now, it, it's really difficult to tie back to them. You just kind of have to connect some dots. And again, we're not saying these are facts as far as like their involvement now, but it all points in that direction and you have to wonder. Yeah, you do. So Society of Cincinnati, they have their own crest, their own medals, kind of, there's a lot of Freemasonry that's blended into with this thing. A lot of their ceremonies, and all this mm-hmm. kind of weird stuff, but well, like I said, I think a lot of the, and that's one thing I've wondered as we've gone through these, the Freemasons, Masons, the Illuminati, Society of Cincinnati, I feel like there's another group, another society that's farther back than all of these, where most of these came off of. Might like, be the black nobility. Yeah, the black nobility where they were all part of this this you know, society, and then they said, okay, we're going to break off and start these other ones, and why you get so many similarities in the society of Cincinnati to the Freemason, to the Illuminati. You know, even Mormonism, which we talked about, is based off Freemasonry, you know, and all of that stuff. How did all of these things come off of these, you know, these ideas? You know, what started them? Sounds like a project and a rabbit hole we're going to have to go down. It does. It really does. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Check them out. Society of Cincinnati. Interesting group. I think they're still working today. That's my opinion. And I, I don't I think they're working in our best interest. But let us know what you think. Down the RH at ProtonMail.com. Down the RH at ProtonMail.com. Thanks to Friends Radio Network for carrying the program and NWCZRadio.com Channel 1. I'll be with you on the midweek. And Brandon, you'll be flying solo next week. Yep. And uh, and then midweek after that. So you get me two in a row. Double dose of the Brandon. Let me know what you guys want to hear. I have a couple things in mind that I might do, but if you have a, an interesting topic, I might change my mind. There you go. All right. In the meantime, everybody have a great week. Stay safe. Stay informed. I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. We're out of here. See you later.